0: So, we are continuing the series that we uh, started that we're calling following through the summer of, of a series titled Blessed, as we are focusing on the Gospel of Matthew and on specifically on the Sermon on the Mount. And so, throughout the summer, we're uh, looking at this sermon that is, uh, again, in these three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and as with uh, that, once we finish the Sermon on the Mount this summer, we're going to finish out the summer by uh, looking at some of the parables and stories uh, that are later in Matthew. And so there's a lot of parables in Matthew and a lot to learn and, and to grow and through those concepts that are taught. So we're going to, again, spending our entire summer in the Gospel of Matthew. But as we are specifically focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we, we know that again this is pretty early on in Jesus' public ministry. He had already gathered a, a pretty big following, and, and even without social media, he was still able to, to to reach people, and they came out. And so he gave the sermon not just to his close inner disciples, but also to a pretty large crowd of people. And again, it's, it's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount, because he literally gave it on the side of a mountain in Galilee, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And and as, as he gave this this message, we've, we've looked at, at, again, some of the things that that he has taught through it as we've gone through the different beatitudes, but also notice the things that Jesus didn't teach in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't give the gospel message or how to be saved. And he also never gives just a list of do's and don'ts for you to do in your life just to make sure you're good. Right, Jesus doesn't teach those things in the Sermon on the Mount. But, but yet we, we do see that there was something significant about Jesus' teaching. And in fact, when we look at the the concluding verses of the Sermon on the Mount and the end of Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses, if this works, verses 28 and 29, where it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. And so again, we see by these concluding statements of the Sermon on the Mount, that one, there was something special about Jesus and about his teaching, and, and that's what people were drawn to, right? And they really wanted to learn what Jesus had to say, and, and yet it also we'd learn from this is that um, the, the religious leaders of the time apparently were not doing a good job, right, of teaching, because they actually um, felt the authority of Jesus' teaching and not the other religious teaching of the time. But as we think about that and realize, though, the people came to Jesus with all kinds of expectations. And the reality is, some of them were there listening to this sermon at this original time, right? Because they were not interested in a life of faith at all. They just wanted to witness a miracle, right? Or to get some freebies from Jesus or whatever it would be. And yet we learn, again, as we study this and see what Jesus teaches, that the Jesus' teaching is oftentimes isn't what we expect, but it is always what we need. All right, it isn't always what we expect, right? There are some things that we might expect from, from Jesus or from the scriptures, but yet, and sometimes we don't get that at all, but it is always what we need because Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Right, God loves you more than you can imagine, and, and Jesus gives us exactly what we need. And, and this is sermon does answer the question of what my inner life should look like when i am saved jesus delivers these teachings not to you again to to have somebody find a saving knowledge to not spread the gospel he doesn't share the gospel right but he does tell them even if they were not believers he does tell them up front this is what your life will look like if you choose to follow jesus if you do surrender your life and find a saving knowledge in him, then, then these are the, the parts of your life, these are the attributes of your life that will be changed and transformed. This is what you will live out in a daily basis as a follower of Jesus. And in fact, that's exactly what this famous passage in Matthew 5, 3-12, which is the intro to Jesus' sermon, it is famously known as the Beatitudes. And it is literally a list of eight attributes Right, that Jesus covers throughout the rest of the sermon. And as we see, this is our base passage again for this series. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to read here verses 3 through 12. So Matthew 5, uh, starting at verse 3, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it, be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Again, as we read this, this passage, this summary statement, this intro to Jesus' sermon, we see that Jesus covers a lot of ground. And he, he introduces these eight attributes of, of a true follower of Jesus, and then he spends the next two and a half chapters of the rest of the sermon diving deeper into each concept. And yet as we've gone through them and we've been looking at them one by one each week and, and as we continue to go through them, we realize how interconnected each of them actually are, right? And they all kind of build on top of each other. And, and yet, again, last week we looked at those that blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. And again, we talked about how those words, kind of we need both words to really find the, the full connotation of of what Jesus was speaking about. And, and again, how justice and righteousness was really more of a character trait of God than it was something that we do. Right? It, it, it's, it's more about who we are, not about what we do. And even we talked about last week briefly about how, our, again, our culture has kind of hijacked that word right? to make it mean something that's not what Jesus necessarily was meaning. It's a piece of what Jesus meant. But, but it's way bigger than that. And, and as I've gone through preparing today and, and researching this next one, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I would say is that this one is very tightly connected to righteousness and justice. Right? It's kind of the next step. of, of if, if righteousness and justice truly are being hungered and thirsted for and living out, and we find that satisfaction that, that, that mercy is right there. Now, I want to highlight one more time, as I've already said it a few times, but before we dive into this beatitude, it is is very important with this one that we remember that that this sermon and this teaching was directed towards those who already have a saving knowledge of Jesus. It it is not talking about salvation. And when you read this, right, blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, This one's easy to get confused with salvation because... Again, we we see what Jesus says here, right? Of of it uh, again, he'll if you are merciful, then you will be shown mercy, and and yet the words, the phrases of mercy and grace are oftentimes intertwined. In fact, we oftentimes say them together, don't we? God's grace and mercy. But grace and mercy are two very different things. They're, they're, they're completely separate words, and here Jesus is very specifically uses mercy, not grace. And so that's where I want to start today, is I want to actually start by looking at these two terms, because they are closely connected, but right? we use them together a lot of the time, but yet they are distinctively different. And so first, let's start with grace. We think about grace. We know this concept of grace. It is at the core and foundation of our faith. Right, that we are saved by grace. And that is 100% true. Right, now, when you think about that word grace, okay, it is primarily saving in nature. Okay, but it is not just saving in nature. We experience God's grace every day, especially as a follower of Jesus, as a saved person. But it's primarily saving in nature. And grace is, by definition, not attached to my actions. It is primarily saving in nature and not attached to my actions. It's, it's, it's the divine influence on your heart that is reflected then in your life. It is to make you worthy. Okay, now, when you think about grace, again, this is the Brian definition of grace. Okay, and so yeah, grace is receiving something I don't deserve. Okay, again, we, let's take this to the very foundation of our faith, right? Our salvation. If we think about our salvation, I do not deserve my salvation, Right? In fact, the only thing that I deserve from God is judgment and death. Hey, just let that sink in for a moment. Right, Think about anything you get from God other than judgment and death is by grace. Because that's the only thing we deserve. Because we are all sinners. Right? The wages of sin is death. Right? Which means that's the only thing that I deserve from God. So anything I receive from God other than that is grace, uh, especially my salvation. Right? I cannot earn it, it is not attached to my works or my actions, right? and I don't, I don't deserve it. I'm saved by grace, and, and but then we have mercy now. Again, mercy is connected to this. We say, and again, we say we experience God's grace and mercy every day, and we absolutely do, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, if you received Him as your Savior, you've been washed by that grace. Right? You've been made worthy. Right? But then we have mercy. Now, now, mercy, like I said, is connected, but it's it's yet distinctively different. Okay, mercy is not saving in nature. Okay, grace is what saves you, not mercy. And also, mercy is directly attached to my actions. Grace is not attached to my actions. Mercy is directly attached to my actions. Okay, so with grace is receiving something I don't deserve, okay, mercy is not getting something I do deserve. Not getting something I do deserve. Again, completely connected to my actions. Right, and yet we see how it's connected to grace, don't we? Because my salvation, right? And the fact that when I get grace and I receive salvation in eternity with God, right? Forgiveness of my sins and eternity with God in heaven, right? But naturally, I also receive mercy because I don't get judgment and death, which is what I do deserve. And so they are interconnected. I mean, even to our salvation, they are. And yet because the natural result of grace is mercy, <laughs> They are very connected, and yet they're distinctively different. And so many times it's easy for us to to kind of confuse the terms and even interchange the terms, but but they're not the same and and something we need to to understand as we dive into what Jesus is getting us, trying to get us to understand in this beatitude. Because when we read this and we see it again, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Again, if we put grace, this doesn't work. Because it attaches grace to my actions. And Jesus is very specific. He's not talking about grace. He's talking about mercy. And as we take this idea and this concept of mercy, then I want to move you know, further into the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this passage is, is potentially even more famous than the Beatitudes. When we look at right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. Okay, the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6. Uh, starting at verse 9. So we're going to read this up through verse 15. So Matthew 6, picking up at verse 9. And it says, so pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, as you can see, again, if, you know, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you realize that, that I, we, I read two verses past, right, the Lord's Prayer. Now, we spent, a, a, several months ago, we spent an entire message series diving deep into every line of the Lord's Prayer. And so if Again, that's not our purpose today. and That's not why I bring it up. So if you want to go back and, and watch those sermons, I invite you to do that. They're all available online in our message archive. But the reason I bring this up today is, is, is as Jesus presents this in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, I have to admit that as I grew up in church, and I grew up in a Christian family, I've been in church my whole life. I went to Sunday school as a kid and, and through youth group and all those kind of things, I, I, and I've heard the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. And, and, and I will say is I was always confused by verse 12, okay, where he says, again, in the Lord's prayer, he says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. That line was always incredibly confusing to me. And then because, again, you think about because in my mind, I was thinking about grace, right? I'm, I'm, my sins are forgiven. That's how I'm saved. I'm saved through Grace. Right, but and yet it seemed in conflict, right, to even the core, basic belief of our faith that we are saved by grace, not of works. And yet Jesus implies, right, that the forgiveness of my sins rests on whether I forgive others. And, and that that that's what it's that's what it says. I mean that's that's where I interpret that. And 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 then. Which is why we look at these next two verses after the Lord's Prayer, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus confuses it even more, right? When he says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. What? Like, is Jesus contradicting himself? See, I believe he's not. And again, remember, I told you, this is very key, right? Remember what Jesus is not teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus makes an assumption that you are already saved when he teaches you this prayer. Jesus is not teaching us about grace in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us about mercy. Because your grace has already been received, and it is not attached to your actions, and it is something that you don't deserve. Right, but but Jesus is teaching on mercy here, and when you look at, at when you, you take grace out of the picture and you put mercy into this, when you talk about forgiveness, right? Suddenly, it, it Jesus all he's doing is repeating the beatitude he gave in chapter five. But again, he's not talking about salvation; he's not talking about forgiveness of sins from the grace perspective. He is talking about. Mercy, again, Jesus makes the assumption that you have already been set free by grace. And what he's praying about in, this, in the Lord's Prayer is mercy. This is a concept not just taught by Jesus. This is one that we see reiterated throughout Scripture. In fact, if you go to the book of James, which James is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and also when you look at the book of James, James also does not teach the gospel message. Okay? It is written to believers. And somebody who's already had grace. And in James, here in James 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Again, James makes the same assumption that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount, that you have already been set free, right? That's exactly what he says. Remember, right? The law that what? That sets you free. That's talking about grace. And then he teaches us about mercy. Not the same. It is attached to my actions, right? Mercy is something that That, that again, is is this concept about that the more that I do it, the more that I get it. That's exactly what Jesus says. So why do I need mercy? If I've already been saved, if I have grace in my life, my sins have already been forgiven, why do I need mercy? Why is this an important concept that Jesus is teaching? Valid question, Right? Why do I need it? If I have grace, why do I need mercy? Well, there's a few reasons I want to point out this morning of why we need mercy. The first one is this, is because every choice comes with consequences. Now this is a general concept of our world. Every choice comes with consequences. This is true before grace. This is true after grace. Right, this is true in the midst of mercy, right? Is every choice comes with consequences? And, and oftentimes we, we see the statement, and the first thought, right, is that as our mind goes to the to consequences being negative. Right? But that that's not that's not true. I mean, consequences can also be positive. But every choice comes with consequences. And when we realize this, this idea, we realize this concept. But right? we need to understand that, that those consequences come in all kinds of ways, right? But when we all make hundreds of choices every day, but every choice comes with a consequence. Some consequences are immediate and are obvious of the consequence of a choice, kind of like the consequence of driving this truck under that bar. It is immediate and it is obvious. right? Not good. Yeah, again, just uh, again, it, the, the choice of 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 a policeman to drive around a sign, right, and end up in the wet concrete. Immediate and obvious consequences. Right? or you know the the consequence of the choice of this kid putting his head inside this chair. Immediate consequences. Obvious. Well, maybe not completely obvious because, again, to so this seems like a pretty negative situation, but it, and maybe you notice the kid is, has a sucker in his mouth. So maybe they're not all negative. Right? But every choice comes with consequences. Some of them are immediate and obvious, but a lot of the consequences that come with your choices are, are more long-term and a lot more subtle. But every choice you make comes with a consequence. And some of them are negative, some of them are positive. But, but, but yet, um, again, we, we learn whether it's immediate or long-term consequence, whether it's an obvious one or a subtle one, that we need to understand that every choice comes with a consequence. And especially after grace, right, we still need mercy because we still make bad choices. And those choices come with consequences, especially when those choices are sinful. In fact, we see this warning all throughout Scripture, right, about the, the, the consequences of sin. I mean, the first consequence of sin, right, is separating us from God. I mean, and that's, but that's what grace takes care of, right? But there are many other consequences to our sin, aren't there? Right? And even after grace, we still struggle with sin, and, and, and that still comes with consequences. Again, one of the things that the scripture speaks to a lot is, is the consequences of sexual sin. And, and, and in fact, it, it tells us right in scripture to run from it because the consequences are so steep. And and yet not just sexual sin, but you look at any sin, right? Whether it's greed or or gluttony, right, or or pride. I mean, there's all of these choices that come out of those, those sinful things bring consequences into our lives. And and, and again, even even the the choice of of surrendering to God comes with consequences, right? Of of growing to be more like Him. And that's a direct result to my actions and my choices. Every choice comes with consequences. Even after grace. Grace. I would argue, especially after grace. Because God's opening your eyes and your mind and your heart to the real consequences of my choices. And as we see that, we we know we need mercy because every choice comes with consequences. As we think about this idea, this this concept, right, of these choices that we make, especially after grace, I I want to look at, at this passage in Revelation chapter 20. You hey, now this is the description of the white throne judgment. This is the, the, after the second coming of Christ, this is when we all face judgment. Again, this right here, right, after this is where we have this very vivid description of heaven. It's the biggest description of heaven in all of scripture. Hey, but look at what, what John tells us that he sees in this revelation, in Revelation 20, 11 and 12. He says, and I saw a great white throne and the, the one sitting on it. And the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And then skipping down to verse 15, it says that anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this is not an extremely fun passage. Right? But yet this is, God showing us the truth, right, and and the consequences of our sin. Now, as I look at this, though, and with this, this concept of grace and mercy in the forefront of our minds, as we read this passage, I just have this question. It just jumps out at me. Why is there more than one book Now, there's only one book named, right? But he says that he pulls out the books, and among them is the book of life. Now, we only see the direct consequences of your name being in the book of life, right? And that is whether you go to heaven or you go to the lake of fire. Now, I will tell you, the book of life is about grace. How you get your name in the book of life is by grace. Grace. All the rest of the books are about mercy. Everyone will be judged according to what they have done. Right? And the, the final judgment, right, the book of life, is the one that sends you to heaven or to the lake of fire. But the rest of the books are about mercy because there are consequences to every action. And in fact, when we see that, like you said, consequences aren't always negative. Right? In fact, when you look through Scripture, right, like, again, why are there all these other books? Well, because there are rewards based on your actions after grace. Right? And in fact, this is all through Scripture, talks about rewards in heaven. Now, exactly what all these other books are, I don't know exactly what those rewards are. It, again, it doesn't tell us, I haven't been there yet, I can't tell you. Right, but, but I, what we do know is that there's more than one book, right, and that we need mercy in our lives. And again, there's a million jokes and cliches out there about what kind of transportation you get in heaven or how big of a house you're going to get or how many jewels are in your crown, right? There's all these things that we can come up with and these ideas of what this means. The reality is we don't know what it means, right? But we do know that we need mercy, Right? And when we look at that, right, the, the, the truth is we don't know what these rewards are, but the things we know for sure is that rewards are a part of heaven. Which brings us to the second reason why we need mercy, right? Is because, again, not only does every choice come with consequences, but because you will be rewarded in heaven for your deeds on earth. Again, your actions matter, especially after Grace. Right, because after grace is when you are representing God to the world by those actions. Right, and, and we will be rewarded for our deeds on earth. Again, as I said, this concept is all over scripture. As I was studying this, I found literally 10 different passages outside of Jesus' teaching about this concept about rewards. In fact, we can look at Jesus himself. In fact, as we read, read this morning in that Beatitudes, in those the concluding verse that we read in our intro passage, Jesus literally says about your reward in heaven. He teaches about it over and over again. In fact, we see also Jesus uses this phrase, you know, several times where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Again, we think about this to unpack that phrase that Jesus uses. Why, what do we sacrifice for? We sacrifice for sin. Right? Jesus was, was saying that he's, he sees what you do, especially after you are saved. And the road goes both ways. You do good things and bad things. And he wants to reward you for the good things. Right? He prefers mercy and not hold the bad things against you, not sacrifice. The truth is we all still sin after we're saved. But it's not a salvation issue anymore because grace has already covered our salvation. It is a mercy issue, not a grace issue. In fact, when you think about this concept of rewards and good things versus bad things, this is likely what I believe that the whole idea of karma came from. And if you look at Buddhism and other Eastern religions, they, the core kind of tenant of their faith is this idea of karma. But within karma, there is no mercy, right? Because literally karma is, you know, a a good deed counteracts a bad deed. And to to win at the game of karma, you just have to have one more good one than than the bad ones. It's a simple majority. There's no mercy, right? But what Jesus is teaching us is that he desires mercy for us in our lives. But yet, when we look at this, mercy, though, is not a green light to just sin and do whatever I want, because God's going to show me mercy. No, we, we are to be more like Christ, right? Think about our core value as a church. Core value number one, Jesus Christ is the destination of our journey. He is our example to follow, right? And the goal of our earthly faith journey is to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, right? And think about Jesus, right? He's lived a sinless life. He was completely Holy. Right? And so the goal of our faith journey to move forward is to sin less. To be more like Christ. Right? To not need mercy as much as I needed it yesterday. Right? And, and as, as we continue to move forward and, and to do that, right, we know that we, therefore, are not going to stay the same. That God is going to transform our hearts and our minds to where we don't need mercy anymore. But yet we can then pass on that mercy to others because the more merciful I am, the more mercy I find and enjoy from God. Right, just this is the same kind of concept that we learn about love, right? How do we, how can we love others? Well, because we were first loved by God. And the more that we experience the love of God, the more that we know how to love others. And the more that I experience the mercy of God, the more that I know how to show mercy to others. Right? And and then we can truly move forward in our faith. Again, if you look back to the James passage we already looked at in James 2.13, God says that God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. God doesn't want to punish you. He wants to bless you. And we want his mercy to live out or to win out over his judgment. because And that's, again, one of the ways where this beatitude is attached to the one from last week, right? Because God is just. He is righteous. right? And yet he also is merciful. When you think about our faith journey and think about living that out how it changes us and is supposed to transform us, if you look in the book of hebrews hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith it's literally this description of all these biblical men and women and godly men and women that lived out their faith and how, how they lived those out and how it, it was counted to them as righteousness right and justice came through and they lived mercy in their lives and then we see at the end of that then the next verses in hebrews chapter 12 hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, again, everybody that's described in chapter 11, then let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Right, that we have to continue to move forward. Let's, again, what is holding you back that you need mercy for? And as we we're told here, get rid of it. Strip it off. Right? And that's why we need mercy. Because the things that we need mercy for is holding us back from a richer faith. A, a closer connection with God. Right? And we need that mercy to remove that so we can be closer to God. So as we understand this concept of why we need mercy in our lives, even after grace, especially after grace, because that's what's going to keep us moving forward in our faith to be more like Christ. So now what do I do with it? If I have mercy, so now what? What's what's my next steps? First is I need to remember that if I do my part, then God will do his part. Again, if I do my part, God will do his and remember, God's already started the process. In fact, this whole cycle of mercy in our life, it starts with God's mercy towards us. And again, remember, Jesus is assuming that that's already been taken care of through grace and mercy, right? That we're already on this path of walking with him in our growing faith. And so God starts it, and then it's my, then it's my turn to do my part, right? To, to, to surrender to God, to be transformed by his spirit, to sin less, right? To, to do better things. To to embrace God's mercy so that I can get better, to be more like him. It starts with his mercies towards me, and then I can follow that example by passing on that mercy towards others. Which starts this ongoing cycle of the more mercy I have, the more that I experience. It starts the ball rolling in my life, which is exactly what Jesus says, isn't it? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. But yet the opposite is also true in your life. Right? This, this, this road goes both ways. If I don't show mercy, then I will also experience less mercy. In, Psalm, in Proverbs 21.13, it says those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their time of need. If you don't show mercy, you won't get it. If you don't show love, you won't get it, right? It pushes you further and further away from God, and it creates a barrier in your life and in your faith, right? And, and again, as we see this, why do I want? I want this in my life. I want this ongoing process, right? Because this enables me to live out the greatest commandments, that God, right? To love God with everything I have. And the more that I love God, the more I can love others, Right, and again, we can, we can kind of reword the greatest commandments with love and put in mercy. And it's the same concept. And as we look at this, this idea, again, as Jesus takes this and he illustrates it here later in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable, this story. He tells a story about this man who, who owe, owed the king millions of dollars in debt. And, and in their culture, again, in that debt, he was enslaved and imprisoned until he could pay off the debt. And the, the, the king looked at this man and says, hey, he owes me millions of dollars, and I realize there's no way he could ever possibly pay it, especially being in prison. And so, and so he, he calls the man in, and the king forgives his debt. He says, forgiven, we're, we're, we're equal. Right? He shows him mercy, and he says, Your debt's forgiven, you may go. And so he goes, he gets released. And then this man walks out, right, back into his culture and, and he interacts and he sees this other guy, right, and he remembers, hey, that guy owes me money, right, and he says, so he goes to that guy and he says, hey, you owe me money, pay up, buddy, right, and, and, and this, this man responds, he's like, hey, I, I know, yes, I owe you, but I, I, can't, I can't pay it, I'm sorry, but I can't. Right? And so then this guy is like, oh, well, you owe me money. So, so he, he pressed the charge. He has him in prison. He says, you're going to be in prison until you, until you pay back the money you owe me. Well, the wind of this guy's actions gets back to the king. Right? And so the king calls this guy back in. Okay? And this is, this is the conclusion to this story that Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, verses 32 and 33. It says, then the king called in the man he'd forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Yeah. But how much have you received from God through grace and through mercy? Everything. So how should I treat others with the same grace and mercy that I've received? from my king. But as we see this concept, we see how important this concept was to Jesus because he taught on it over and over and over again. We all want to receive mercy when it's for ourselves, but it's not so easy to give mercy. I shouldn't be merciful just so I will receive it, right? Because that, again, puts the focus back on me. Right? And that's exactly the opposite of the goal of our faith, right? Because the focus isn't supposed to be on me, it's supposed to be on my God. But when I show mercy, right, it, 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 it testifies to the fact that I've received mercy from my God. And it puts the spotlight back on him. Because if I do my part, then God can do his part. And God will do his part. And we think about our core values, and I brought up our core value number one, right, of, of the Jesus Christ, the destination. And, and again, if we, we need mercy to, to continue that process and to move in that. But mercy also touches on core value number four. Core value number four of our church is everyone's welcome. And when we think about that core value, are we truly living that out? Because, unfortunately, the reputation of the church in our culture is not one of mercy. Not bother anybody else? Again, when we think about this, again, are we living out our faith? Are we doing the things that God needs us to do? Right, so the first thing I need to do is I need to do my part. I need to live out mercy in my life so that God can do his part and that God can then work through me. All right, which is the, the next reason, the, the next step then that I do is that as God works through me and, and it is shows mercy through me, that I, I do good works because of my salvation, not for my salvation. Again, I do good works because of mercy, right? To show mercy, not for salvation. Again, salvation is about grace. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I, I've referenced this a few couple times. This is a core uh, passage to our faith, right? To the gospel message. God saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for this. It's the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Notice, this is grace. I don't earn it. Something I don't deserve. But because of grace, then I also receive mercy, and then I live into mercy and grace every day. As I live out my faith and I do good works because I am saved. 1 John 3, 9 says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. As I experience mercy in my life, right, then I continue to be transformed. And, and as I'm transformed to be more like Jesus, then I sin less. Right? And, and if, if once I receive grace, right, then mercy pushes me forward so that I don't stay the same. And, and because I've been born into God's family, because of grace, I get born into God's family. And through mercy, I will stop sinning and be transformed. James 2, 26 says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Again, this is connected to mercy, not to grace, right? I don't do good works to get my salvation. I do good works because of my salvation. And the more that I do good works, the more I keep growing because my faith is alive. but it's all connected to mercy. Doing good deeds, showing mercy, it changes the focus of my life from all about me to all about God and all about others. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the two greatest commandments that Jesus taught us. Love God with everything you have, and then that will flow through you to love others. As we look at this whole idea of grace and of mercy, salvation and good works and and everything that that might be holding me back in my faith and what's propelling me forward brings me to my final thought today, and that is this. I know and understand that my actions and choices have a huge effect on the big picture of my life. Being merciful isn't really about me. It's about God being able to work through me. And again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Grace you never prayed and accepted Jesus as your savior. And if that's here today, I'll tell you is don't, don't try to live out mercy until you've received grace. And, and, and if you never prayed and accepted Jesus as your savior, you can do that today. You can join the journey of faith and start this process in your life. But if you have experienced grace, if you are a believer in Jesus, then are you fully surrendered to His will? Are you practicing living out mercy in your life and living out every day? Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, but I hope that you will take a step forward. Right? Maybe that's praying, receiving Christ for the first time. Maybe that's just receiving mercy for those actions, those consequences that you didn't realize were there. right? And shedding off that sin and moving forward in your faith. Maybe it's just celebrating the, 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 the blessing of mercy in your life. Right? I don't know where you're at, but I hope that you will respond to God and, and talk to him about it today. Lord God, we come to you today, Lord, and we are so thankful that we can run to you again and again and again. Even after we've experienced grace and our salvation, God, we can run to you for mercy every day and grace. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have blessed our lives so much that we can rest in your grace and your mercy every day. And I pray, God, that as we go this week, Lord, that we will truly live out our faith. That we will shed off anything that's holding us back. God, that we will receive your mercy. Lord, that we will live out your mercy and and start this cycle in our lives, God, where where we just see you moving us forward every day. And God, that we can truly show this world who you really are. God, that we can shine your light, God, through your mercy and show the world that they need grace. And God, of what life with you, walking with you every day is really life. God, help us to move forward in our own faith to represent you well in all we do this week. And God, guide us as we rest in your grace, as we receive your mercy, and as we can pass on that, that mercy, that love and the grace to all those around us that need it this week. Guide us as we go, as we live out our faith every day, as we're more like you tomorrow than we are today. Thank you for guiding us being with us. We give you the glory. But be with us now as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.